What's poppin' everybody? Episode 32 of the Slippin' Weed Podcast coming at you. Gonna be talking a little bit about the Showtime card from this last weekend, a bunch of 122-pound fights. Um, and then I want to get a little into about these fights that Canelo Alvarez just signed for February 27th. And then also Caleb Plant's fight coming up this weekend. So let's get right into it. Last weekend we had a pretty good card on Showtime, a bunch of 122 pound fighters, uh, junior featherweights, I was going to say junior bantam, junior featherweights. Um, the first one was a guy named Raiz Alim stopping a guy named Vic Pasillas in the 11th round. And I really liked Alim's style, man. He has, he has a very awkward way that he moves about the ring, but he's um, defensively responsible and offensively very difficult to time. I liked how, you know, he would throw punches while Pasillas was punching and he would be landing shots at kind of awkward angles. Um, and I think he just, overall, he had too many skills for Pasillas, who, you know, with the exception of the first two, three rounds where he was landing some shots, it was very difficult for him to get an offensive rhythm, you know, against Pasi- against um, Alim. You know, Alim would throw this really awkward you know, 2-1 where he would throw the backhand into the front hand and then he would dip down and try to make a move from there. And I think the awkwardness of that move just kept throwing Pasillas off and kept throwing him off. And he, you know, he was just a little too much for him. Um, and I think that he's probably a handful for anybody at 122 with, you know, he has excellent head movement. He throws really awkward combinations. He throws hard body shots, you know, at this weight. I think he hits very hard. Um so I think he's a handful for anybody at 122. I don't think 122 is as hot as it was a couple of years ago. So I think there's an opportunity for somebody to kind of step in and be the guy at this weight, um, which I think was a little more on the line in the main event between Stephen Fulton and Angelo Leo, which was a great fucking fight. This was like a low-key a sleeper of a fight. If you weren't watching this one, this is a good one to go back and watch. Um, you know, the first eight rounds I could you could tell because I've seen both of these guys once before and Fulton definitely seems like he's more of an outside fighter and Leo's obviously you know seems like more of a Mexican style fighter that wants to get inside and be rough but he's also really smart like he gets body contact and he kind of uses angles and shifts around as he's throwing punches and surprisingly from the opening bell it seemed like Fulton was cool with having that kind of fight with Leo. And they were literally, I mean, it wasn't like a keep you at the end of the jab and we'll, you know, we'll outmaneuver each other. These guys were literally body to body contact, pushing each other around, sliding around after a combination. It was like very slippery, high level inside stuff. And it was a great fight. And then I would say it was basically even, you know what I mean? Through the first seven 
eight rounds. And then it was kind of just like Fulton had that one more gear, and I think Leo had put so much into that inside fight, and it wasn't getting him what he what he needed it to get him. It wasn't he wasn't landing enough hard body shots. He never hurt Fulton. So Fulton for the last four rounds sort of mixing it up. He would jab and move. He would go back in the pocket, and I think he just really separated himself, you know, in the last third of that fight. So, I mean, this was really a great fight. Again, if you didn't get a chance, I will go back and watch this one. And I think that's Stephen Fulton, a very exciting young fighter. I think that a fight between him and Raiz Alim, I mean, I don't see why not. It seems like, you know, maybe that's part of why they're on the same card. So, I think you could look for Stephen Fulton and Raiz Alim sometime this year. Um, but the main thing I want to talk about this week... Um, I'm sure many of you have seen recently that Canelo Alvarez signed to fight a guy named Avni Yildrim on February 27th, um, which in some ways is like, oh, cool, Canelo, you know, he fought last month, he's coming back so quickly, staying busy, nothing wrong with that. The other part of you might be going, why is he fighting this guy? You know, what is the... What is the benefit of fighting this particular opponent, particularly when, you know, in the post-fight interview of his last fight, he's saying, you know, unification or bust, basically. And this is definitely not unification or bust. And I want to break down a little bit why he's fighting this guy, because it may not be obvious, but there is a reason that he is fighting Avni Yildirim specifically. Um, when we all would rather probably watch him against Billy Joe Saunders, or Caleb Plant, or David Benavides. So, the reality is, Canelo has multiple belts at 168, and Avni Yildirim is his WBC mandatory. Now, I've talked a little bit about mandatories on the show before. A mandatory is basically, you know, the, the belt organization says, this is the number one guy, you're now the champion, you have X amount of time to fight this guy. So you might be going... Why the fuck is Avni Yildirim, Canelo Alvarez's WBC mandatory? If you look down his fucking box rec, the guy hasn't fought since February of 2019. So it'll be just about two years since his last fight when he gets in the ring with Canelo Alvarez. So I did my, you know, my little investigative journalist hat. I put my little investigative journalist hat on and I figured I'm going to figure out why Avni Yildirim is the mandatory. And this is going to take me a little bit to explain, but basically on February 23rd, 2019, Avni Yildirim lost a close technical decision to, at the time, WBC champion Anthony Durrell. The, the cut was to Durrell. It was caused by a headbutt. That's why they went to the cards, because they had gone past round four. And at the time, the WBC had mandated a rematch of that fight. While that fight happened, um, the reason they were fighting for that belt was because David Benavidez had tested positive for cocaine and had been stripped of that belt and no longer had the belt and the belt had been declared vacant. So basically, you know, while they're negotiating or talking about doing this Avni Yildirim rematch, you know, Benavidez's uh, suspension ends, he becomes an active fighter again, and the WBC says, 
you know, Benavidez gets a shot at Durrell first. So Benavidez and Anthony Durrell fight on September 28th, 2019. And Benavidez stops Durrell, I believe, in the ninth round. So Benavidez then became the WBC champion again in September 2019. His plan, because Yildirim at the time was his mandatory, was to fight Yildirim soon after. That was his mandatory, but he wound up taking a voluntary defense against Romer Angulo and lost his belt on the scales, right? So he didn't make weight. He got stripped of the belt. So now the WBC is vacant. It's a vacant title. And somehow becomes part of the stakes for the Canelo Alvarez versus Callum Smith fight from this past December. So all that to be said is that the reason that Canelo Alvarez is fighting Avni Yildirim and the reason Avni Yildirim is his mandatory is because Avni Yildirim never got the rematch with Anthony Durrell, and he never got a title shot against David Benavides. So the, there's a couple of questions, right? It's like, why didn't Benavides fight Yildirim immediately after he beat Durrell? Why wasn't he forced to take that fight? You know, why was he given the option to have um, an optional defense or to pick an opponent? And the answer is that mandatories aren't always mandatory. For whatever reason, if there's a, a fight that's bigger money or you have a relationship with the the organization, I don't really know entirely how that works. I'm more sort of stating it as a blanket question like why is it that mandatories are not always mandatory? Because it's very obvious that they're not. Otherwise, Yildirim would have gotten his shot against Benavides. Now, you could take that back even farther and be like, you know, how is it that even in 2019... You know, Anthony Durrell makes sense as a top contender for a belt. That makes sense. He's been a world-class fighter for a long time. But what at the time had Yildirim done to get that shot? Well, regardless of how you feel about that, that was a close fight. And they said that he was going to get that rematch. He was going to get his title shot. So in one sense, this is a ridiculous fight, right? This guy has no chance against Canelo. He's not in the same class of fighter. He was barely in the same class of fighter as Anthony Durrell who's definitely not in Canelo's league. And on the other hand, it's long overdue, right? The organization said, you're entitled to this shot. We're going to give you this shot. And it seems like time after time, they found reasons to not force their champion to fight this guy, even though they have him on the hook, like, yo, you're the mandatory for this belt. And a lot of these guys, it's like, how many opportunities do you get to fight for a title? You know what I mean? You only get a handful of opportunities to fight for a title in your career. So, you know, naturally, I think his thought would be, all right, well, they're telling me my shot's coming if I just stay in shape. And that's how fucking two years goes by and you don't fight at all. You know, I think I think there are times where these mandatories get lucky, but there's also times where it forces them to be very inactive and they're just... It feels like the belt organizations are not helping to root out who's actually the best fighter in the division. They're, they're just not. They're not helping that situation because they're each individually their own business. They have their own interests. You know, they want sanctioning fees. And I'm going to do another episode where I talk more extensively about sanctioning fees and what they are 
But essentially, when a fighter wins a belt, they have to pay to keep that belt. And so it's in their interest to get new champions, to have vacant belts, to have guys paying sanctioning fees. The challengers have to pay sanctioning fees. So (laughs) the problem in this situation is that the belt is pretending that it's just fulfilling an obligation. But the reality is they're two years fucking late on that obligation. And now it's a mismatch. Now he has absolutely no chance, and I. this is a terrible fight that, frankly, I don't think anybody cares about. It's just a matter of Canelo keeping his belt so that when he goes to fight Billy Joe Saunders, when he goes to fight Caleb Plant, when he goes to fight David Benavidez, he also has belts to bring to the table, you know? Which, all of that brings me into my next thing that I want to talk about, which is, why is it that this next weekend, why is it that Caleb Plant is fighting Caleb Truax for his IBF super middleweight title. You know, I saw that fight got signed, and I was like, you know, and Plant, his last three fights, he's fought some weird guys, man. For a guy with a title with his skill level, like the level of opposition for him in his last handful of fights since um, Uskadegi is very unimpressive. Um so I, I was like, why is it that he's taking this fight? You know, he's had these tune-up fights, and the reality is that this is also a mandatory. This is also a mandatory. He also has to take this fight if he wants to keep this belt. He's in the same position as Canelo. So I'm going to do the same thing for this fight. I'm going to tell you why Caleb Truax is the mandatory. And it's a mixture of these rankings are ridiculous, and this is long overdue, you know? And I'm going to take it all the way back. I'm going to give you some real context here. So to take it all the way, all the way back on May 23rd, 2015, right? James DeGale beats Andre Durrell for the IBF Super Middleweight Championship. Holds on to that belt for a few years. And then in December of 2017, loses that belt to Caleb Truex by decision. They have a rematch, I believe in April of 2018. And... DeGale wins his title back, but then in July of 2018, vacates that belt, right? And so instead of it going vacant and having two guys fight for it, the IBF already had what's called an interim champion. Now, I don't really know what the fuck that means. You're either the champion or you're not. But now these belt organizations have these smaller belts, these sub-belts, that if you get them, they entitle you to a world title opportunity. It's, it's ridiculous. So Jose, at the time, July 2018, Jose Uzcategui, Jose difficult name, was the interim IBF champion and was promoted to being the full champion. And then in January of 2019, Caleb Plant beats Jose Uzcategui. Currently, for whatever reason... The top two spots, the top two rankings of the IBF are vacant. And Caleb Truax is the number three, making him Caleb Plant's mandatory. And part of why he's Caleb Plant's mandatory was because I believe he was entitled to a third fight with James DeGale and never got it. And he never got it because I believe Plant was ranked higher than him and so was entitled to a fight against Uskadegi. And da 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 da. But the bottom line is one, this is a stupid fight, but in a sense, it's also overdue. It's not a fight people are particularly interested in seeing, but on some level, 
the IBF has promised Truex that he was going to get a third fight with DeGale. I believe he never got that fight because DeGale vacates the belt. And so his, you know, his status as far as the IBF ranking has probably been in limbo for months now, for years, right? So on one hand, if you're Caleb Truax, you're like about fucking time. And then on the other hand, if you're fit, if you're the fans and you don't know all this shit, you're looking at it and you're like, why are these guys, why are these world champions fighting these guys that I don't know? Why aren't they fighting each other right now? Why aren't they fighting each other as soon as it's possible when it's vi- the most viable? And this is why. It's because these belts have inserted themselves and they've sort of made it seem like they're a necessity for the function of the sport. And in some way they are because it does have meaning to have all four. And in some ways it doesn't mean shit. Because you, you can get to be worth a certain amount of money and you don't need them. People want to see you fight regardless of what belts you have. You know, the belts are like a stepping stone. But, you know, they're holding on to, I believe they're holding on to their relevance for dear life. You know, they'll do anything they can to insert themselves in as many fights as possible. That's why you see the diamond champion and the golden champion and the interim champion and the super champion. Because they, the more belts they can have, the more sanctioning fees come in. And the more times they can get the title to change hands and more different challengers. You know, it's a very messy way that they've inserted themselves into the sport. And really, I think, very frequently prevent the best fights from happening. Because guys want to hold on to their belts. You know, you work your whole life to win this championship. And you want to keep it. You want to be able to have that leverage. And you want to be able to say, I want all four belts. Because regardless... Of how fucked up all of it is. There's no fighter that doesn't want to win a championship belt and win all four of them. You know, that's in the four belt era. That's, that's you know, that's the dream. But again, this all leaves the questions left, you know, unanswered. Like, why are the top two IBF spots vacant? What does that even mean? Right? If you're going to just have them vacant, like, why not just shift everything up? Why isn't Truax number one now? You know, what is that system? Why is that how we're doing this at the highest level of boxing? You know, why didn't Uskadegi have to fight Truax? If, if Truax is entitled to that shot, you know, even if we, the fans, don't think he's worthy of it, if this organization is saying you're entitled to this, get it out of the way. You know, why Why are some people forced to do it and others are not? You know, I think Uskadegi should have had to fight Truex the moment the Gale vacates the belt. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and the reality is, why is it that Caleb Plant has fought twice since he fought Uskadegi two years ago? You know, against basically guys that have absolutely no chance against him. You know, why wasn't he made to fight Truex immediately after he won the belt from Muscatagi. You know, he had a voluntary defense against Mike Lee. Apparently, that last opponent he had, Feigenboots, that guy was a mandatory. I don't know why he would be a mandatory. But then then what are these vacant spots? Why? The whole thing is such a mess to me. And it feels like it hurts the fighters the most. It hurts the fighters and the fans the most because we're all just left to be like, well, who the fuck? We don't know what, what's happening. 
You know, we just want to watch boxing on TV. You know, and I know about this shit because I've been watching it for so long and I read about it and I feel like if people understood how ridiculous this business is, they'd want, they'd, they'd really want it to operate differently. You know what I mean? So that's my thoughts on, on, you know, these world champions being forced to take on these mandatories that are not particularly compelling fights. And at the same time, these belt organizations holding these contenders, you know, hostage a little bit and promising them something that isn't necessarily there. You know, it's, it's very frustrating. You know, obviously I think plant is going to beat Truax very easily and I'll be back next week to talk about that. Thanks for tuning in guys. That's been episode 32 of the slip and we podcast and uh, I'll have another tutorial up this week. Peace.